That's what I was trying to get to. Is it is it time for children? Yeah, it's time for children's church. All right. If I'm you rusty. are one of the younger ones uh, who would like to um, to join Miss Rita and go uh, to children's church right now, you're welcome to go do that. Um, as they're making their way out, just a real quick announcement: um, we have some friends that are part of our church here, Darren and uh, and Lorinda Oltman, uh, and they're looking for a carpenter and drywaller to help them out uh, in their business. And if you uh, have those skills, uh, this is Darren and Lorinda right down here in the front. And uh, if you see them after the service, um, and that would be a big help to them and potentially a big help to you too. So um, as many of you know, um, I was absent this past Sunday. I was on a trip with my son, Nathan, uh, my favorite guitar player of all time. And um, and we were out in California enjoying the sunshine. It it apparently was was cold out there. It was only 72 degrees, and um, and so it was horrible. Um, but um, so you know you couldn't swim, but you could watch guys surfing and that kind of thing. And and uh, so we we toured around, went to Huntington Beach, went to Hollywood, uh, saw Griffith Observatory. Uh, and enjoyed all that, but our purpose in going was to uh, to check out schools for Nate because Nate uh, has experienced God's call into ministry, and he wants to go uh, into a um, program for, to be trained for the pastorate. And so we're looking at schools for him that will enable him to complete his master's degree in five years instead of the typical seven for a pastor. Uh, typically, you, you get your MDiv, which is three years after you finish your undergrad, uh, which is obviously four years. And so if you can compress that down, you can save a lot of money, right? And so uh, Biola University is one of the places we were checking out. But one of the things that went on while we were there is they had chapel, unsurprisingly. Christian institution had the chapel during the week. And uh, one of the eight chapels they had that week was um, a guy named Johnny Moore, who is the, the author of a book called The New Book of Martyrs. And he shared stories as part of his uh, chapel messages about Christian martyrs from very early days of the church to the present day. Over and over at the end of each story, he repeated the fact that these people all refused to deny their faith in Jesus despite imprisonment, despite horrific torture, despite even facing death. And then he said this, and it's the same Christianity, the same Bible, the same Jesus. And these people are willing to suffer and die for a faith that too many of us aren't even willing to fully live. Same Bible, the same Christianity, the same Jesus, and these people are willing to suffer and die for a faith that many of us aren't even willing to fully live. And that line has been rattling around in my head this week. I've been thinking a lot about the contrast and asking myself, what is the difference? What makes a man or a woman or even a child willing to lay down his or her life for Jesus' sake? What produces that kind of unyielding faith, the kind that will not 
abandon faith in Jesus no matter how high the cost gets, no matter what horrible things you do to me, I will not turn away from Jesus. What is it about these people that makes them do that? And I found as I studied the passage we're looking at today that a big part of the reason is actually contained in our text uh, this morning. So if you've got your Bible, I'd like I'd invite you to turn with me over to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, this book is written to a group of people who are experiencing this very kind of thing. They are under persecution. They are suffering. They are struggling. And Paul and, uh, and Silas and Timothy are writing to them in the midst of that kind of situation. And so this text speaks to them and to us about how to have a faith that doesn't give up in the midst of very difficult uh, circumstances and suffering and even persecution and death. So if you have your Bible open, I'd invite you, if you're able, to stand as I read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-4. to 4. This is what the Word of God says to us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You give us example after example, not only in our Lord Jesus, but in our brothers and sisters around the world throughout time who have laid their lives down for You and who will not turn away, though it costs them everything, because He is no fool who would give what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. Father, help us to embrace the kind of faith that does that. And help us learn from your word how to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, it's been a couple weeks since we last looked at the Thessalonian church. So let me give you a little, a little reminder, a little background if you're unfamiliar uh, Thessalonica is, to this day, a city uh, in uh, what was, in that time, ancient Macedonia. And you'll remember it from the book of Acts. Uh, in uh, the book of Acts, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us, remember? And, uh, and the, the, the city of Thessalonica was one of the places that Paul went. The first place that he went was Philippi. Uh, and you'll remember that in Philippi, he and Silas, uh, here called Sylvanus, okay? It's a Sylvanus and Silas is the same guy. It's the difference between Joseph and Joe. Uh, Joseph is who I am to my mother when I'm in trouble. 
right? <laughs> but uh, that's the official title for the IRS and all those people, right? But Joe in real life with everyone else. And um, what Paul and Silas went and preached in Philippi, and as they did, uh, they got they got arrested, they got flogged, they got thrown in prison, and they led the Philippian jailer to faith in Jesus. You remember this? Well, after this, uh, they go down to Thessalonica. It's the next place down the down the major highway, the next major city they come to, and they uh, preach to those people while their wounds are still healing. Remember. I think about that. I've just gotten publicly flogged for preaching about Jesus. What do I need to do now? Well, I guess I need to go to the next town and preach about Jesus. So that's what they did. And while their wounds are still healing, they go and preach about Jesus in Thessalonica, and there is a riot there, and they get run out of town. And the Thessalonian church that they planted in a space of about a month, they planted this church, the Thessalonians are immediately under persecution. Immediately. In fact, if you read carefully the text of 1 Thessalonians, you'll, you'll understand that one of the reasons they're asking questions about what's happened to Christians who have died is because they have had some. They've had some, some Christians within their fellowship who have died as a result of the persecution that is on them. So these are some people who are some some tough and faithful folks that from the moment they were born as a church, they've been under persecution. And from that moment, they have stood fast holding on to Jesus despite a whole city of people that hate them. How do you do that? They're under such severe persecution that they're asking questions and writing to Paul and Silas and saying and saying to them, hey, have the end times come? Like, are we in it? Is, that, is this what's going on? That we're in the end times? The end of all things? Because we know there's going to be persecution of God's people in that day. Is this, is this it? Are we in it? And Paul writes to say no and to encourage them uh, to stand fast and to continue to be faithful to Jesus despite severe persecution. So, with that background in mind, what, what do you think would be the first thing that the apostles would want to, to teach them and to remind them about? If you guessed salvation in Christ, then go to the head of the class, collect your gold star for the day, uh, because the most important thing... The most important thing that you can ever know about is salvation in Christ. Amen? And so the very first thing that Paul and Silas and Timothy are concerned to write to the Thessalonian church about is their salvation in Christ. Because more than knowing about what Jesus has done for, for you, knowing and believing in these things in a gut-level way, down to the core of who you are is essential for having the kind of unyielding faith that will happily suffer and die for Jesus. Because, after all, nobody will ever suffer and lose their life for anything they don't deeply believe in. There's no superficial Christianity that goes to the stake. 
that goes to prison, that's willing to get flogged, that's willing to be humiliated, that's willing to lose your job, your family, and your life, unless you deeply believe this, unless you believe that everything in this life is worth trading for the glory of Jesus and for the rewards of the next one. Amen? Unless you really believe that, you're not doing that. And so, so look at how the apostles address the Thessalonian church. He says, you are the church of the Thessalonians. Now note the order here. They belong to the church first. The church of the Thessalonians. They are not Thessalonian Christians. They are Christians first who just so happen to be citizens of a particular city. They are the assembly of God, the people whom God has called out of this wider society to belong to His people. So their identity is first as members of God's people. And then, only to a much lesser degree, they have other identifiers and attachments. You feel me? So, they, they are the church of the Thessalonians. I wonder how that might apply to us here in America today. Who are you? You are the church. The people whom God has called out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are the people who belong to God. And that is your primary identity. It is not as Americans. It's not as men. It's not as women. It's not as husbands. not as wives. not as parents. It is as Christians. We're the people who belong to God first. And everything else is secondary at best after that. Look at the tail end of verse 1. Do you see the little word in there? In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you ought to circle that because it is just as true of you and of me as it was of them. Whenever you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your status changes. Uh, you don't belong to the world anymore. You get a new location. You have been placed in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the ways that Paul speaks about the results of our faith through his letters. And it's a, and it's if you really understand this, this will blow your mind. Okay, uh, this is a shorthand expression by which he means that in a way that you cannot fully comprehend, that you, I become analogous in a way to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, and the Son all exist in a unity with one another, in the one person, or the one being rather, who is God, right? And so there is one God who eternally exists in three co-eternal, co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? When you become a, fa a person who follows Jesus, you are placed in the Father 
and the Son. And so, in a sense, you are you become what Peter describes in uh, in Second um, Peter chapter one verse four. He says that you become partakers of the divine nature. That God brings you and me into the triune communion within the Godhead. If you understand this, maybe you can explain it to me later. But uh, but this is what is being referenced here. That you have become united to God Himself. That you are uh, in, a, in a new kind of relationship with the Father and the Son of which a husband's and wife's unity in their marriage is a is a shadow and an image and an imitation, but which is just the shadow. The real thing is being united with God, the Father and the Son by the Spirit. And you are in God the Father and the Son. Uh, and because of these things, you can also be confident that we also will receive the blessing that's pronounced on the church there in, uh, in Thessalonica on verse 2. Grace and peace to you in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace is what we receive through faith in Jesus. Amen? Um. I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do, because I know almost all of you fair well. And I know that prior to, to meeting Jesus, all of you, including me, were headed for hell on a rocket. We all deserve to die and go to hell and face God's judgment there for our sins, every single one of us. We. Um, not because of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, He saved us and brought us from our sins into new relationship with Him through faith in Jesus. Amen? And because of that, we are recipients. Uh, we, the way we can speak about that is that we're recipients of God's grace. We never got what we did deserve. And what we received instead was forgiveness, and mercy, and membership in God's family, and placement in the Father and the Son by the Spirit, and uh, baptized into the body of Christ, and uh, became part of the bride of Christ, and we were given spiritual gifts, and all these things, right? Shorthand way of talking about that is we're recipients of God's grace. That God lavished on us treasures that we did not earn and do not deserve, and instead... We got salvation. I deserved hell. I got heaven. I deserved to be shut out from the presence of God and the majesty of His power. And instead, I am made one with God and I will stand before Him in His glorious presence forever and ever and ever. We are recipients of a massive amount of grace to a degree that we cannot even get our arms fully around. And because of that, we also have peace with God. Right? We have peace with God. We were God's enemies. 
Whenever you sin, I don't know if you know this, but whenever you sin, it is an act of high treason against the King of the universe. You are shaking your fist at Him and saying, I will not live under your rule and I will not conform my life to your decree and your holy plan. It's an act of treason. It's rebellion. And if you're a traitor, what do they do with you? They execute you because you're in rebellion against just authority. But God made peace with us. He signed the peace treaty in the blood of His Son that we might have peace with Him. Isn't that an amazing thing? And so we are recipients of this blessing. Grace to you and peace. Not in ourselves, but in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who had every reason to be at war with us, has established peace with us through His Son. Grace and peace are yours. Now, you've got to get this stuff, and you've got to get it in your guts. It can't just be in your head. If you're going to live a life that you're willing to, to pay any cost, bear any burden, uh, sacrifice everything that you have to follow Jesus, though it costs you your life, you've got to get this. You've got to have the gospel at the, at the guts of who you are. Because this will put steel in your spine. This will say, what do you got? If it ain't better than unity with the living God, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus by which I have peace with God as certainty of standing before Him uh, for, for glory and eternity then it's not a good trade. Amen? You want to offer me what? You want to offer me money? I'm going to the place where the streets are paved with the thing you're trying to pay me with. You want to offer me, you want to offer me pleasure? In the presence of the Lord are pleasures unending. They will never fade away. You want to offer me power? Jesus says that we will reign with Him forever and ever. Why would I make any kind of swap for anything in the world when Jesus is everything and gives everything there is to, to be blessed by? Right? The gospel is a treasure. It is worth selling everything you have to gain. Right? This is this is what you have to not only believe and know in your head, but feel. At the at the core of who you are, you need to feel this. I am someone who is a recipient of such great grace that I will live my life gladly and end my life happily for the one who gave it all to me. Now, in addition to that, 
uh, as a result of that kind of faith, the kind that gets down into your guts, if you will, you start growing in love for one another. As your faith grows, so your love grows. So look at verse 3. So we ought always to give thanks to, to, to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing and, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Do you see what it says? Why are they thanking, should always be thanking God for this church? Because their faith is growing. The faith that they possess, the faith that put them in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is not a static thing. It's something that they it's not something they believed once upon a time and then haven't done anything with since. No, it's a growing and a living, a vital faith. And if these people are going to stand strong in the teeth of daily persecution and suffering, they're going to have to have faith that's growing. And so whenever you um lead someone to faith in Jesus and disciple them, you should see their faith growing. And when you do, you're incredibly thankful to see it, just like these guys were, right? The easiest thing in the world for the Thessalonians to do after they'd come to faith in Jesus and hit a wall of persecution as soon as they did, the easiest thing to do for them would be to be like, you know what, uh, I thought I wanted to believe in Jesus and follow Him, but I thought about it and I decided no. That would have been the easy way out, right? But instead of that, what Paul and the apostles see here is these guys thriving and growing. And so what are they doing? Rejoicing. They're so thankful they can't hardly believe it, right? Like, I, I, I would not have imagined that someone would be a believer like a month and then suffer horrible persecution and still keep growing in their faith. That's what happened. So they're rejoicing over them, and they're also rejoicing with thankfulness because uh, of how they know that they're growing. Look at it. What's it say? How do you know that these people are growing? Because their love for one another is growing. Not that their building got nicer, that their church budget got bigger, that they had more people attending necessarily. It's that their love for one another is growing. Growing love for your brothers and sisters, by the way, is consistently one of the key indicators of a growing faith in Jesus. As John the Apostle writes in 1 John, uh, anyone who says he loves, uh, he loves God and hates his brother is a liar and does not practice the truth. Because anyone who... Uh, because you cannot love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your brother whom you have seen. And that's got some starch in it, but that's true. That's true. If we are people who believe in Jesus, then our love for one another, as our faith grows, our love for one another should be growing too. And, and this is also vital if you're going to have a faith that stands up under persecution. Very few people are willing to suffer and die for an idea alone. But for people they know and love and are loved by, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you all would take a bullet for one of your kids? Why? Because someone you know and love. 
How many of you men who are married, if your wife hears a noise in the night, send her? If you do, see me afterwards. All right? You may need a testosterone shot or something. All right? Something wrong. Something has gone badly wrong if that's what you do. Right? No, if you're a man, you lay your life down for your wife. Why? Because you know and love her. And the same thing is true here. If your faith is growing, you're willing to lay your life down, not only for Jesus, but for the people you know and love in the community of Jesus' followers. People happily lay down their life for the guy or the girl next to them that they know and love. Right? A faith that stands despite persecution and suffers even martyrdom is one with growing love for Jesus that overflows into love for your brothers and sisters and has that at its heart. Amen? And in fact, that's what we see the apostles celebrating in verse 4. The reason they're boasting to the other churches about the church in Thessalonica is because of their steadfastness despite persecution and affliction. When you read persecutions and afflictions, you need to think about things like this. Job losses. People cutting you out of their lives. Anybody been unfriended because of their they follow Jesus? I've had that happen a few times. Uh, where somebody, you know, kind of stomps out of my life and says, I don't want to be around you anymore. Why not? Because you're not as fun as you were when you didn't know Jesus, right? Or they don't like the fact that I keep sharing Christ with them. Or they don't like the fact that I tell them that because I follow Jesus, there are certain moral standards that I also follow. And that those are unchanging. Because God's will and His Word are not up for a vote. Right? God is not running for God. So He doesn't need our vote. And His Word is also unchanging. His standards have not adapted or evolved. Right? But I've had that happen. You probably had that happen too. Uh, have you had people who refuse to do business with you? Because of your new faith. They did. Maybe you have a spouse that divorces you because of Jesus. Or parents who disinherit you. Uh, maybe you go to prison. Maybe you suffer even death. The whole gamut of ways that people suffer because of faith in Jesus is, in, is encompassed here in this verse about persecutions and affliction. But here's what's interesting. Christian, the Christian world is so upside down from the rest of the world. Because what's Paul doing? He is boasting to everyone else about their afflictions. He is celebrating, in other words, the fact that despite all this, they have held on to Jesus. Uh, it is precious in the sight of God when His saints suffer and die. Because in that, they are following the way of Jesus. Amen? So, let's consider together how, how uh, to respond to this passage. I think this passage is challenging. 
But let me tell you a story first. In 2018, so five years ago, 2018, 110 girls were abducted from a mission school in Nigeria by Muslim terrorists belonging to a group called Boko Haram. Um, Boko Haram, loosely translated, means books are banned. Okay? Muslim terrorist group, they want to get rid of all kinds of Western learning, Western uh, influences, especially Christianity, and they abducted these 110 girls. All of them... 109 girls uh, have been returned to their families, except one. Government negotiated all of their release, and uh, they brought in buses with all of these girls on it, and all the parents were gathered, and they stood at the bus station watching all the girls get off. And all of them got off except one girl. Her name is Leah Sherabu. And she is still captive today. She was 14 when she was abducted. She is 19 now. And she did not get off the bus because as her mother asked the other girls who had been held captive, where's Leah? Where's Leah? Where's my daughter? They said, oh, Mama, she is the only one of us who did not tell our captors that she would convert to Islam so she could be released. She is the only one who said, I will not deny Jesus to be released. And so she is still there to this day. She is 19. What kind of faith makes a 14-year-old girl Say to guys who have abducted her and then done whatever you can imagine to her as their captive day after day for five years. And then say to them when the opportunity to go home presents itself, no, I will not declare myself a Muslim. I will not say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. I will not say those words. I will say Jesus is Lord and if you abuse me and even kill me, I will not bow for five years. What does that? This girl reminds me of the people who walk in the great line described in Ephesians. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 and following, some were tortured and refused to be released so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Why? People do these things. What keeps a person like Leah Sherabu going in her captivity? What separates those kinds of Christians from everyone else? And I think it's this. I think it's the truth that this passage highlights for us. It's a deep awareness of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. First of all. 
It is knowing. Knowing. Down at the center of who you are. That you are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have grace from God and peace with Him because of a massive change in status that has taken place through faith in Christ. It's the conviction that your primary identity is not your nation, not your tribe, not your family, but the fact that you belong to Jesus Christ, that you are part of His bride, the church. And that you know that this kind of faith produces a faith and a love for your brothers and sisters and you do not dare let them down. And so you encourage them by the fact that you're going to stand for faith in Jesus and because you belong to Him, you will say, Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field and I will gladly sell everything I have for Him. He who tries to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. And so Leah Sherabu stays as a testimony that Jesus is worth it. Because she believes it. Amen? But that confronts the rest of us with a question. Do you believe these things? Really believe them? It's been a few years since a gunman walked into a church in South Carolina and began shooting at random people who were there for Bible study. Because of that, we have folks here on our security team to prevent that from happening. But if that happened and somebody were to stick the barrel of a gun on the end of your nose and ask you what you really believe, what would you say? Would you say, I believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead and has baptized me into His death and in His resurrection and I am going to glory if you pull that trigger? I hope that's what you would say. Are you willing to lay your life down no matter the cost? This passage is something that confronts me and it confronts us and it calls us to look at the same Jesus and the same Christianity and the same Bible that these people had and to embrace them with the same faith because of the same growing love for one another. We have the same faith they did. The same Jesus, the same Bible, the same Christianity. And so my question for all of us today is, will the, will the Lord one day boast about you? And rejoice over me because we have the same faith that these folks did. The same faith that Leah Sherabu embraces to this very day. I think the Lord is proud of her. I am. And I've never even met her. 
my prayer and confident expectation is that we will grow in our faith such that the answer will the Lord rejoice over us and our faith is yes. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we have looked today at a passage that calls to mind a great cloud of witnesses. People of whom the world is not worthy. Father, we pray that we would be among them. Though we have not paid nearly the cost that our brothers and sisters around the world continue to pay even to this day. Father, we pray that You would do whatever is necessary in us and to us that we might stand for Jesus though it costs us everything. Father, we don't know what we're asking even as we pray that. We don't know what hardship may come in, come our way but we know that whatever comes, that Jesus is worth it. And so, Father, we pray that we would live with that conviction. That it would not be something that we embrace in the comfort of church on Sunday morning, but it would be something that we embrace in the darkness and in the pain and in the affliction and the suffering that may come our way. Father, we will not we will not renounce in the dark what we have proclaimed in the light. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.